Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we're still busy with our series on Ephesians and going through the, the letter of uh, Ephesus or written to the church of Ephesus. And if you're joining us for the first time, all of the teachings are on SoundCloud. Um, and we've been having a great time. And for those who are joining for the first time this morning, um, we are on chapter 5. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 is really talking about living out what is inside of us. Living out the victorious Christian life. So you guys missed out on the first three, the first three chapters where it's talking about identity. It's talking about who we are in Christ. It's talking about our sainthood. It's talking about our core, our DNA, who we are. And because of who we are, we get to live out as mature believers. Amen? Chapters 4, 5, and 6. So you guys can open up in chapter 5, verse 15. We're going to jump right into the middle of this chapter. Chapter 5, verse 15 from Ephesians. I'll be reading from a few different translations, and the scriptures will also be on the screen if you want to follow there. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspectly is just another way of walking purposefully, walking diligently, not being unpurposeful, not being unintentional about how you're walking. What is this talking about? Is it talking about making sure your, your, your left foot touches the ground before you lift your right foot and then vice versa? No, that's not talking about. It's not talking about a natural walking. It's talking about your way of life. There's an invitation for us as believers to walk diligently, to walk purposefully, to walk intentionally in this life. Why? Because your carnal man, that's not talking about sinful nature, by the way. Um, if you've got the, the New Living Translation, I love the New Living Translation. We're going to get into it a little bit as well, I'm sure, this morning. But some translations, when we get into the book of Romans, for example, the, the, the New Living Translation is talking about sinful nature, whereas the King James is talking about the carnal man. There's a big difference seeing yourself as a sinful nature being versus a carnal nature. You've got a carnal nature. You can't get rid of it. Right? Until Jesus reappears, your carnal nature needs to still mature into everything that you are in the Spirit. So it's very unhelpful when we're reading Scriptures talking about our sinful nature. Okay, so that's just for free this morning. Um, but as we're walking, we, it's talking about walking out what is inside of us. Walk purposefully, walk diligently, because in this life... Like I said, you've got a carnal nature, and in this life, your carnal nature, up until the point where you receive Christ, and then from that place, renew your mind to your identity in Christ, your carnal nature is going to pretty much stay the same. Your actions don't change by default. Some of you know some people who've been believers for 30, 40 years, but they're pretty much the same person as when they receive Christ. Why is that? Is it because God isn't working in their life? Is it because God's withholding something from them? No. The problem is here. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, and he's writing, and he says that, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
And so Paul is writing about it and says, see that you walk circumspectly, purposefully, diligently, not as fools, but as wise. What determines being a fool or being a wise? Verse 16 tells us, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. How do we redeem the time? When time goes by and every second now, a second is passing. Can we get that second back? No. So how do we redeem the time? What is Paul writing about redeeming the time and the days being evil? Verse 15 and 16 from the Passion Translation says, So be very careful how you live, not being like those who, with no understanding. Again, being diligently in our walk, being purposeful in our walk, boils down to seeking understanding. And God will open up in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the church that their understanding would be enlightened. Enlightened to what? Enlightened to Christ. Who Jesus is, who Jesus is in us and how he came to transform us completely inside out, not outside in. We're not into behavior modification. God isn't asking you to change your behavior. God is asking you to look at the love that he has for you, to look at what he paid for your life and have fellowship with him, enjoy intimacy with him. And guess what happens? When a husband and wife have intimacy, there's a child soon to come, generally nine months later. Intimacy brings fruitfulness. God isn't asking you to walk, work for fruitfulness. He's asking you to come close to Him and enjoy intimacy with Him. Those with no understanding, having no understanding makes you a fool. But live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for His purposes. There we go. That is redeeming the time. Take advantage, full advantage of every day as you spend your life for His purposes. Understanding brings fruitfulness. Understanding brings transformation. That's why it's very important not to be a a reader of the Word, but become a student of the Word. There's a difference between reading the Bible as a storybook versus studying it out to see who Christ is and what God's will is for man, which is for all to be saved and for all to come to full knowledge of the truth. What truth? It's not some mystical truth of some mathematical kind of equation up there on the wall and kind of... No, the truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus identified himself as the truth that we need to find, that we need to come to know. And then John 32. Man, I haven't quoted that scripture in a while. <laughs> you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Um, the reference just jumped out of my, my, my head now as well. Um, I need to uh, get that one back on the pages again. You will know the truth. It's not by... Thinking about the truth, it's about knowing the truth. And that knowing the truth, again, is an intimate knowing. It's not a superficial kind of just on the surface knowing. I don't know my wife superficially. I know her intimately. I know what she likes and know what she dislikes. Often I forget what she dislikes. <laughs> and then I get in trouble. 
And then she's got an opportunity to, to demonstrate love and grace towards me. I give a lot of opportunity. <laughs> Verse 16 and 17 from the Amplified says, Making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity, because the days are evil. That's awesome. Buying up each opportunity, because the days are evil. I'll get back to that. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. Highlight what the will of the Lord is. And it's awesome. Um, Mark has shared a scripture with us and the word for us in uh, Corinthians, and we'll get there in a moment. Oftentimes we make the will of the Lord very mystical, very vague, but it's very precise. It's very simple. But we'll get to that in a moment. What is the opportunity that verse 16 is talking about? We see all of these translations talking about an Amplified Classic, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity, redeeming the time. What is this talking about? Again, verse linked to verse 17 and 18. I want to look at the Passion, verse 17 and 18. It's amazing how when you read and study the Word in context and you follow the Scripture that follows the following Scripture and you ca carry on reading, how much understanding you're getting, right? It's profound. How did the authors think about this? To have verse 17 linked to verse 16 and verse 18 linked to verse 17. Like, man, they had to be led by the Spirit to do that, right? <laughs> I'm just being sarcastic. We're having a little bit of fun in church, guys. We're allowed to have fun and laugh in church. God doesn't fall off of His throne when we're laughing, even in time of prayer, man. Sometimes when you say the wrong word, because most of us are, are Afrikaans-speaking first language, some of us are French-speaking first language, so sometimes you're going to say the wrong English word. I've often had that, and then my wife uh, helps me afterwards, and, or even in the, in the moment, and then I get distracted, and that's a different story. So God doesn't get offended when we have fun in church and when we laugh. Because guess who created humor? Did man create humor? That man came up with the ability to laugh and make jokes? No, God created that. So if God created you with humor, with, with the ability to laugh, to have fun, to rejoice and be glad, guess how much He's rejoicing? Guess how much He is enjoying our laughter and our, our fellowship this morning as we partaking of the Word? So let's look at verse 17 and 18 from the Passion. It says, And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment. For don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand God's will. Again, we get to that in a moment. God's will, verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion, and instead be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How did that get in there? <laughs> All of you are thinking like, oh, drunk with wine, like, what is, like, what, what is classified as, as drunk? Some of you are asking that question, I'm sure. What, what is drunk, like, by definition? That is not, Paul is not talking about how much wine you should drink, how much wine you shouldn't drink. Should you have one glass? Should you have two glass? Should you only have red? Should you only have wine? Ach, what? Um, don't get confused. Don't zone in on one verse and forget the context where we find ourselves in. Because that is when we misrepresent the Word of God. 
When we zone on a specific thought and we start making doctrine on a specific thought, which is completely counter the context and the thought of the author in that very time. Are you guys enjoying some Bible study this morning? We need to think about the word. We need to ask these questions. We can't just read the word. We need to become students of the word and rightly divide the word of truth. So what is this all talking about? What is this buying up the opportunity, buying up every opportunity because the days are evil? What is Paul trying to communicate? It all boils down to making the most of your time in the sense of what are you spending your time on on a daily basis because what you spend your time on on a daily basis is going to produce something in your life. Every moment you spend on something, it's birthing and it's bringing forth fruitfulness to something else. Because as you sow a seed, that is what we're doing when we're spending time on something, when we're thinking on something, when we're putting our hand to something, we're cultivating something like you would cultivate a garden. You nourish it. You're working the garden. That is what we're doing when we spend our time on things. And what Paul is saying in this whole context, in this whole chapter, in this whole letter to the church of Ephesus, he's writing about your identity in Christ and he's saying, let's cultivate this. Let's make the most of every opportunity we have to cultivate our relationship with God. Guess what? Relationship doesn't just happen. It is purposed. We need to be intentional. If you've got a friend, guess what? The more time you spend with that friend, the more you're going to know about them. How profound. And then we ask questions about, like, oh, I don't really know the will of God. I don't know who he is. Like, is he good? How much time have you spent with him through the word, looked at the life of Jesus? Because that's the simplest example to look at who God is. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Hebrews says, Jesus was an exact copy, a carbon footprint of who God is. So this all is talking about being purposeful and intentional about cultivating our oneness with God and coming to understand this, because this will lead to maturity as children of God. Living life on purpose. I love our... The Passion says, verse 16, Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for His purposes. Living life on purpose, living life by His purposes does not just happen because you're a Christian. It's amazing when you receive Christ. Amen? We're celebrating with all of you, having Christ live in you and and having your, your salvation sealed for all of eternity. It's amazing. Praise God. But what about your life here on earth? How much are you allowing Christ in you to come to the surface and being a blessing to the people around you? Oftentimes we just stop at, cool, at least like I've, I've received Christ. I'm, I dodged that bullet. There's more to Christianity than just having the Spirit of God live in you. If there was only that, then what's the point of continuing living after you receive Christ? Why doesn't you just, why don't you just get kind of taken up into heaven after you receive Christ? Because God's got a purpose for you here on earth. 
If it was all about receiving Christ and just God's Spirit living inside of you, Paul wouldn't have written chapters 4, 5, and 6. It's a waste of his time. Yet half of a letter is all about having the Spirit of God live through you. That seems like I'm angry. I'm not angry, guys. I'm passionate. I'm passionate about God wanting to mature us, wanting to bring fruitfulness into our lives. Do you want to experience more fruit in your life? Can I just get some responses? Great stuff. Thank you, guys. I'm, 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 I'm praying for your maturity. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for more fruitfulness on your behalf. Myself as well. So don't, don't get mad at me. I want to mature more and more in the things that God is in me and see it kind of come to the surface. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose with intentionality. Coming back to God's will. How can we understand God's will? Like I said, some people have these vague ideas about what is God's will and it's impossible. We can't really know what God thinks because His ways are higher than our ways, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12. So let's get from the Word the heart of God with regards to His will and understanding His will. Because like I said, oftentimes we... We get people in the body of Christ and they've got title of pastor or duomini or all of these various titles and things. And we listen to them often and, and I'm referring to myself now as well. And we listen to them and we're not thinking. Right? None of you, obviously, you guys are always thinking and you're like the, the, the mature of the mature. You're the cream of the crop. We need to think on the Word. We need to ponder on the Word, meditate on the Word, ask questions about the Word. So we're jumping here in the middle of a chapter because we can't always, uh, in the settings and the time we have, dig into full chapters and uh, full letters. That's why you get to also go home and do Bible study. Amen? I'm trusting and I'm praying that your Bible study isn't just happening on Sundays. If it is, that's fine. Because there's, we, we're all maturing. We're all uh, maturing from one, one place to another place. And God is, God is patient with you. I'm going to be patient with you as well. But we're always going to share challenging truths from the front and in our, in our meetings. Because challenge brings maturity when it's done in a loving way. So verse 10 from chapter 2. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by His Spirit. Unveils or covers? Unveils. It's opening up. He's opening up these profound realities to us by His Spirit. Yes, He has revealed to us. Has He covered it to us? Has He, has he hidden it from us? No. He has revealed to us His inmost heart and deep mysteries through the Holy Spirit who uh, who constantly explores all things. Verse 11, After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. And then people pause there and they think like, who can really know? Like it's only God's spirit that knows. And, and I'm not, I'm just not that holy and I'm just disconnected from God sometimes and it's, it's impossible. Like I, I can't really know. No, let's continue reading and see. 
Verse 12, for we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God. What spirit do you have? We've got the spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the spirit. How about you? You guys said, yes, you do. It's good. For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God. So that, what is the reason for you having the Spirit of God? Is it so that you would be confused in this life? Is this so that you could kind of wonder about what God's will is? Or is it for you to know the will of God? Is it for you to know the purposes of God? Let's see what the Word says. So that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. So that we would come to understand and experience, is it some, is it half of, or is it all? All that grace has lavished upon us, past tense. This is something that's already happened to the believer. It's already something that God purposed. I trust that you guys know what God's will is by now for those who are family members. If you don't yet, then... Make 1 Timothy chapter 2 part of your, your Bible study and, and, and memorize it in your heart. I'm going to open up quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's not on the screen. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. This is talking about God. Let's look at uh, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will or who wills all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who wills all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is God's will? For all men to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now our question is this. If this is God's will, if this is God's desire for all men to be saved and all to come to knowledge of the, of the truth. Let's just break that verse up quickly. Salvation is it's, it's easily explained. It's just receiving Christ. Now what is coming to knowledge of the truth? It's coming to know Him more intimately and that will result in more maturity, more fruitfulness. That is discipleship. It's part of God's plan for the world, not for people just to receive Christ. Like I said, that would just be the identity, the Spirit of God living in man. But then there's more to that in this life. It's walking and growing in this identity, coming to know this so that there would be maturity, so that we can impact our worlds. But another important aspect to the will of God is found in verse 18. And we're going to linger in on this for a little bit. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to bless you guys. So there's one aspect to the will of God. For all men to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth. But there's a powerful truth in verse 18 linked to making that a reality. Verse 18 from the Passion Translation says, And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now again, the topic isn't drinking. So you might sit there and wonder, what is the topic then, Etienne? I'm glad you asked. 
Let's look at the word rebellion here first. The Greek word for rebellion is reckless living. Do not get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Reckless living. Is it just sin or is there more to it? Because oftentimes we think rebellion, we think reckless living, and we're like thinking sin. And that's the problem with us still maturing into who Christ is and what He came to accomplish for us. Because Christ didn't come to die for us for us to be sin conscious. He came to die for us so that we can be Christ conscious. He didn't, this is amazing, uh, at Friday at Manukkah we shared this. And as I was sharing, I was just like, man, God was just revealing amazing truths to me. And in the Garden of Eden, God creates this amazing garden for, for man, Adam and Eve. And he, and he says like, hey guys, I've created you in my image. This is what the word says. We've been created in God's image, in his very likeness. And then Adam and Eve uh, dwelt with God in the cool of the day and they tended the garden and God gave them his amazing privileges to name the animals and there was just, just this amazing kind of fellowship that was taking place in the garden and among all of this amazing kind of things happening, God also just told them, hey guys, this is one fruit, don't eat of it. But yet we read Genesis and we read all about the fruit that we shouldn't be eating of. Because we're so inclined to think about sin, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. God didn't die for us. God didn't make a way for us so that we can be all about the do's and the don'ts. He came to die for us so that we can be all about relationship and intimacy with Him, enjoy our oneness with Him, so that through that there will be fruit bearing. And so it's awesome in this picture in the garden. It's not about focusing on what we shouldn't do and what we should do because as we focus on God's goodness on his love for us as Adam and Eve meditated and stood in thanksgiving for everything that they had in Christ guess what they wouldn't have been tempted we looked at this in uh, chapter 4 a few weeks ago when I sorry it was in the beginning of chapter 5 verse 3 and 4 I believe in Ephesians it talks about covetousness and it talks about the lust and it's talking about some of these these carnal things these these things that lead to sin but then it closes us off the the verse and it says but let thanksgiving be our dialect let's let thanksgiving be on our lips continually because if you thankful you cannot be tempted if you thankful for what you have you cannot be tempted with covetous what someone else's has it's very simple, isn't it? Christianity isn't complicated. As we enjoy our oneness and intimacy with God and we, we, we stir in thanksgiving in that, man, Satan doesn't stand a chance. The devil's got no power, authority over you when you're just aligning your heart with who God is and who He is inside of you. Again, it's those who know God. We uh, talked about the scripture in Daniel 11.32, those who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. Those who intimately know their God, know His plans, His purposes, His, wills, His will for their lives. So we're talking about the topic of, um, is it sin or is there more to sin to rebellion and reckless living? Hebrews 12 is 1. And this is an awesome truth that, that we often just zone in on a little bit at at our meetings from the New Living Translation. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us stir up every weight or let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily strips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now again, it's profound how chapter 11 come, oh, chapter 12 comes straight after chapter 11. What is chapter 11 all about? It's called the, the great wall of faith. By faith, Adam. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Sarah. And all of these great uh, uh, men and women of faith. By, by faith, David. But yet all of these men, it closes off the chapter, all of these men and women obtained a good report. But what does verse 11, 39 says? And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. By faith, they obtained a very good report, right? They accomplished great things, signs, wonders, and miracles. But they did not receive the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Then chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily strips us up or trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Rebellion or reckless living is a life of unbelief. It's not a life of individual acts of sin. Let it sink in. Rebellious living, reckless living in this life as believers, living recklessly is not living in sin. Living recklessly is living in unbelief to who you are, who God is, and what He's called you to in this life. That is reckless living. Being reckless with the life of Christ and how He came to purchase for you, not to indulge in carnality, indulge in Christianity, indulge in all of these things, but to live intentionally, purposefully with Him, and Him through you. Unbelief in God's love and grace. It's not believing. Adam and Eve, the sin wasn't eating of the fruit. The sin was unbelief that God is good and that they were created in His very nature and they were created to have oneness with Him. Enjoy that oneness. Their sin was unbelief that God is truly good. That God was who He said He is. That is reckless living. Unbelief in God's perfect will. Reckless living is a life of unbelief and it sells our souls to the things of this world. It's Christianity without transformation. That is reckless living. That is rebellion. Not allowing the truth of the word and the spirit of God in us to bring about maturity. Because guess what? Just because you received the spirit of God, just because you came to salvation, doesn't mean that you no longer have free will. You still have free will. You still have choices that you get to make on a daily basis. What choices are you making? What decisions are you making? Is it reckless? Is it rebellious? Or is it in faith? Being reckless with the price Jesus paid on our lives. That is what reckless living is all about. But let's dig a little bit deeper into this analogy Paul is using. Because he's, he's obviously using an analogy... And there's a lot that we're going to draw from this in light of what we're talking about. Let's look at this analogy of drinking wine and how he's linking this with being filled with the Spirit. Firstly, 
some translations, different translations, talking about being, being, being filled with the Spirit or uh, being filled up with the Spirit or coming to the fullness of the Spirit. Firstly, we need to understand that if you've received the Spirit of God, you've received the full measure. You've received the fullness of God. Colossians 2 verse 10 says, uh, you've been completed, made complete in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. And that spirit isn't a baby Holy Spirit. It's not a baby Jesus. You've received the full spirit, full mature Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 verse 11 says that the same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living inside of you giving life to your mortal body. You've got the same spirit. You've got the full spirit. So what is this talking about? We need to read and understand and study the word in context and not allow the word of God to contradict each other. And when there's something that seems contrary or contradictory, just take a step back and read it through the majority of what you understand about whatever topic it is. So what happens when someone, or let me first... uh, just finish this thought. It's not talking about being more filled with the Spirit per se. You've, you've been complete, you've received the complete full Spirit of God. But there's a difference between knowing what you have, having an awareness and understanding of His power available to us and what that purpose is and that becoming clearer. And that's why we're here this morning. But what happens to someone that gets drunk with wine? No one wants to answer now, right? <laughs> what happens to someone that gets drunk with wine which, which you look at or that you see? Because none of us have ever been drunk with wine. Because all of us were just like squeaky clean and there's nothing wrong and we received Christ and just, just from glory to glory. <laughs> so when someone gets drunk with wine, they change a little bit. They maybe become a little more giggly even. They become more joyful even at times, right? So there's like this happiness, like this. It's just like, it's amazing, like they just change. So there's a few things, few aspects of, sometimes they're also strange. They act weirdly. Now there's a, there's, there's a few different reasons. I'm not going to get into all of it, but being filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to look different to the world. And if you don't look different to the world, you need to ask some questions. Because we weren't called to blend into the world to the degree that the world doesn't even know we're Christians. There's a time and place to blend in, to become all things to all men. So that what? So that you can have fun and just be like the world? No, that's so that you can win some. Intentionality, purpose. So there's a few things. There's, it changes our personality. It changes who we are. It makes us more joyful. Amen? Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us need to tell our faces that. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Come on. But another aspect to this is, when someone gets drunk with wine, how long do they stay drunk for? (laughs) So they, they, they they stay drunk or enjoy that state of drunkenness until they stop drinking. Are you guys seeing where I'm going with this? Paul is saying we need to continue drinking. Not wine, of the Spirit. Continue stir. Paul wrote this to Timothy and he says, Do not forget, remember what happened when you received the Spirit of God. 
bring to remembrance. So as we as believers, we've received the fullness, we've received the Spirit of God, but we need to continue to stir this. Continue to feast on His presence, the oneness that we have in Him. Yielding to the Spirit and His leading. And as we do, we'll experience more of a manifestation of His life in us and through us. And it's not talking about this drunkenness, drunkenness in the Spirit. It's not talking about carnal and self-centered. Oftentimes, like I said, we make Christianity very self-centered, very carnal. But what I can get, what I can experience. And there is an experience. There is a, a component of God wants you to experience His presence and wants you to maybe like, be overwhelmed with joy and start laughing or, or be overwhelmed with His love and just tear up. And All of those things are good. But if, there's, if, that, if your relationship with God is all about you, you're missing the heart of God. Because it's not all about you. It's about the people around you who are dying and perishing. Because God's will is not just for you to be saved, but for you to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth of the matter is this, that no one can be saved unless they come to Christ. So we get to be partakers in that. We get to make God's dreams come to pass. Imagine that. You, a frail human being, Get to make God, the creator of the universe, the trees, the mountains, the heavens. You get to make God's wildest dreams come to pass. By living out as a witness. As an ambassador of the king and his kingdom. It's not a burden and it's a privilege when you come to experience his love for you. And those around you. We landing the plane. Romans 8 verse 14. The mature children of God are those who are being moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Move by. That, that is direction. It's from point A to point B. Are you, the question is this, are you allowing yourself to be moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit? Are you allowing yourself to get drunk with wine? It's an analogy. So don't, don't go and uh, quote me out of context. And, and have people write me ugly messages. <laughs> Galatians 5.16 As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. This is awesome. This is what Paul is writing about. As we yield to, as we enjoy, as we consume who God is, the Spirit of God in us, and we come overwhelmed with that, we will not live self-centered Christian lives. We will start living selfless Christian lives, which is who God is. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve us. That's selflessness. That's love and demonstration. Let's look at a, a passage in Acts chapter 4. And then we'll close with two more, three more verses from Ephesians. Acts 4 verse 31. And this is a, an illustration where the believers almost experience uh, another dose, another, another sip of, or another glass of wine, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. And it says, At that moment the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. This is talking about believers. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the Word of God with unstrained boldness. 
So they went first, they went forward for the first time, but they experienced another dose of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. What was that dose for? So they can just have another giggle or another goosebump? No. So that they could proclaim the Word of God with unstrained boldness. Why the Word of God? Why is it important to emphasize the Word of God? Because faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God. How can they hear without a preacher? If someone doesn't minister the Word to someone else, they cannot receive the message. Because the Gospel is a message. And it's a message about a person. His name is Jesus. And we get to tell the message. Our lives get to tell the message. But it's not just about demonstration of the fruit and the love of God, but it's also about looking for opportunity to actually share. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's a lot of counterfeits of love and, and, and peace and all of these things, but it's counterfeits. It's not the original. It's fake. It will not sustain people. It will not bring true peace, true satisfaction, and true purpose. It's only brought about through relationship with God. On an everyday basis, we get to be moved by the Holy Spirit. And the question again, like I said before, is this. Do we want to be moved by Him and manifest His love to the world? It seems like a simple question. It seems like a, a silly question to ask. Because the truth of the matter is God is willing. God is willing for your world to see Jesus in you. God's desire is for your world to be touched by Christ through you. But His will does not automatically come to pass. Because He's limited Himself to your free will. He's given you free will to choose. And we get to make that decision every day. Ephesians 5, 90-21 like I said, yielding leads to overflow, yielding to the Spirit. We just talked about not being drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit. And your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord Jehovah. Keep speaking to each other with words of Scripture, singing the Psalms and praises and spontaneous songs given by the Spirit. Always give thanks to the Father God for every person He brings into your life. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And out of your reverence for Christ, be supportive of each other in love. All of this is talking about yielding to the Spirit. And it's awesome how, how Paul writes and says, Always give thanks to the Father God for every person He brings into your life. Every believer or every person? Every person. Sometimes, sometimes we just want to love and be compassionate to our believing friends and family. And yes, there's a call to love one, one, one another and be family to one another. 100% very important. But we're not just called to love those who are in the family, but also those who are without the family. Who do not know the love of God. So let's be thankful for them. Let's pray for them. Because by prayer, your heart is going out to them. By prayer, there's something happening in the Spirit. But also your heart is, is growing softer towards them. Because as your heart is softening towards them, you are more able to minister from a place of love and not condemnation, not, not obligation.
we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.